Yo, welcome everybody back to Rhodium Radio. Once again, this is episode 11. I want to thank everybody for tuning in and those that are just barely going to tune in. Or uh, uh, Once again, Rhodium Radio episode 11 and I got a special guest. But before we get into our special guest, I got a couple of announcements I got to make. Once again, uh, people have been DMing me and messaging me on Facebook about uh, Rhodium Mixing Documentary. It's already out. It's, it's the second week. It's been doing well. Uh, um, I encourage everyone, if you, you guys want to learn a certain portion of West Coast hip hop that rarely ever gets mentioned, go to documixery.com and there you, uh, you're going to uh, have it for unlimited streaming. So once again, it's, it's a story about Steve Yano, the uh, Japanese vendor from the city of Whittier, and that's his story. It's a three-hour documentary. You will not be disappointed. So once again, this is uh, the second week that it's been uh, out, and it's, uh, I want everybody to see it. I, I really want everybody to enjoy it. So far, we have no complaints. Everybody has said, Tony, there's nothing wrong with the documentary. It's three hours long, and I want it more. You know, so that's always a good sign. It took us two years to make. Uh, people have also told me, when are you going to come out with the DVDs? Well, those will eventually come out around March. Hopefully, if uh, um, hopefully around that time, around March. But we will have some DVDs out. We didn't want to release those just yet because I know people will bootleg them and they'll be at every Swami and then it'll be loaded up on YouTube and we didn't want to do that. So once again, documentary.com, the story of a Japanese vendor from the city of Whittier, directed by me. Filmed by John, El John Elkins. <clears throat> and without further ado, I have some more announcements towards the end. But without further ado, um, I have a very special guest. Okay. Um, not only do people consider him the godfather of West Coast hip hop, uh, he's also a friend. But I also consider him the godfather of West Coast hip hop. And he's somebody uh, very dear to me. He's a good friend. He's a man. He's, a, he's walking history. So without further ado, Lonzo Williams, thank you for coming, brother. What's up, Tony? Hey. Yes, sir, man. Yes, sir. Uh, let me say this. When I got up this morning, I was so jazzed, bro, because I there's so much that I wanted to uh, ask you, just like Violet Brown when she was sitting there. There was so much that I'm letting you know that there might be a part two. Okay. So just letting you know. So now before we get into the Wrecking Crew and... Everything else, I want to get into. Where was Lonzo Williams raised at? Where did you grow up at, man? Man, I grew up just outside of Compton in a little incorporated area called, well, I wouldn't call it nothing. It was on the corner of Main Street and El Segundo. Right. And right, we grew up in a hole. Okay. <laughs> we literally grew up in a hole. Doc, when it rained back in the day, it would flood. We'd have to come, we have to, we couldn't come through the front door. Wow. It would, it would flood that bad. And uh, right by Vanguard. I went to Vanguard Junior High School, went to St. Albert's Catholic School, 
um, played baseball at Capanella Park, went swimming at Anthem's Park. So I was Crip and Blood before it was Crips and Bloods. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm going to say that again. Before there was before Crips, Crips and Bloods. Wow. Okay. I was, we we didn't have there was no territories and I came up. You know, we didn't get Crips and Bloods to the seventies. Mm-hmm. And when I was coming up, like I'd walk to walk to walk home from school, never got my pockets checked, never got jacked, <laughs> never got jumped on. Yeah, um, my boys in my neighborhood didn't like the fact that I played baseball at Camp Another Park because I grew up right near Anthens Park. Everybody in my neighborhood went to Anthens, played in Anthens, right. but I played at Camp Another because it was close to my, my my school. I could walk to practice from school, so. That was my whole thing, man. So I grew up in Compton. I call Compton my home, but technically, technically, I grew up in L.A. County. L.A. County. Okay. Now we can back up a little bit because you covered a lot that I wanted to touch on. Uh, what elementary school did you attend again? Saint Albert the Great, right there on Compton Boulevard, Catholic school. Nuns beat our ass every day for practice. Damn. Um, junior high school. Vanguard Junior High School, right there on El Segundo and 132nd Street. And high school? Centennial, two years, Gardena High School graduation. Good. Now, in high school, you played baseball? Is that what you were saying? I didn't do shit in high school. I was ROTC. Whoa. I was ROTC. I was I was trying to avoid the draft, man, because back in the 70s. Right. When you got out of high school, they get your ass a gun and a goddamn uh, and, a, and, a, and a duffel bag, send your ass car overseas. And I figured if I got to go to the overseas, I'm going to go as an officer. I'm, I'm always trying to beat the game. Yes. Okay. Yes. I was always trying to beat the game. So when they brought ROTC to Centennial, I was one of the first people to sign up. I'm like, shit, give me, a, give me some stars and shit. And so I was marching and color guard. And by the 11th grade, shit, I was running the whole ROTC. I was the battalion commander. The uh, only two uh, cadets in the whole Southern California had the same amount of stripes as I did. That was me and the captain USC. At Centennial, the ROTC, it got so popular. I had like 250 kids in ROTC, and I was the battalion commander in 11th grade. And it was cool for me, but... Nobody liked ROTC. Right, right. They couldn't stand ROTC. The Crips couldn't stand it. The Bloods couldn't stand it. The football team couldn't stand us. And uh, I never forget, man, that I left Centennial. Uh, me and my boy, me and my my uh, executive staff, it's about five of us. I'm in the front, right. running shit, walking through the senior square of Centennial. And some of the Piru boys, like, uh, where you, I can cuss, right? Really? Anything you want. Pop, some of the Piru boys say, where you, where you pop our motherfuckers going? And my partner, uh, who was about 6'4", looked like Blake Griffin, right? Yeah. And he stuttered. And his name was Andre. He said, he stuttered. He says, uh, why, 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 why we got to be some pop, pop, pop our motherfuckers? And homeboy stole on them. They got to fighting. Wow. Well, we left. The, the security guards broke the fight up. About three days later, we were walking through, going home, walking through Enterprise Park. And we saw the guys that jumped on us at school. Mm. And they was going to jump on us in the park. Right. And just so it happened, my neighbor, who kind of ran shit back then, you can ask your boy uh, uh, Yellow Ice, Yellow Ice about this, by, by Kenny Clay. Okay. And uh, Kenny Clay stopped them from jumping on us, but they made my boy and the other cat go head up. Yes, yes. And my boy, we're considered busters. We pop out, you know, we all T said we busters, right? But my boy put hands on the gangster. Wow. I say, motherfucker could have took a dive. Now they mad at us, okay? Right. And that's why I left Centennial because they wanted to kick our ass. They said, anybody with an ROTC suit was getting fucked up at third period. I left a second period. 
I, was, I don't I blame was, you. I was home in third period. No shit. They, they fucked y'all up. No shit. I was at home kicking it. Damn. Yes, sir. Okay, now we're going to go back a little bit. Growing up at home with your mom and dad, or uh, um, what did you, what kind of music were you raised around the house as a youth? And see, that's a, that's a, that's a good question, Tony, because as a kid in my era, Whatever your parents listen to, yes. that's what the fuck you listen to. Yes. My dad was from Mississippi. Okay. He listened to Ray Charles and he liked country and western. So when we got cutting lines on Saturday, we listened into motherfucking country and western. Wow. Uh, um, I would have never guessed that. I'm telling you, dude. My mom, she was she was from she was from Louisiana, so she liked jazz. So we went to school in the morning. We jamming jazz. My sister, who was older than me. She liked R&B. We listened to James Brown and Dramatics and Temptations. So I learned to appreciate all of this. Okay. Wow, wow. So as I became, a, got older, I was a music lover because I'm exposed to everything. To everything. And I, yes. even sometimes people give me the, I, I, I wear the, the Godfather West Coast hip hop uh, uh, title. Uh, title proudly, but I'm a music lover. I'm a DJ. That's what yes. made me want to be a DJ because I love music overall. And that's just, uh, that was what I did. And that's why right now, if you get in my car and I got a USB drive full of shit, you'll never hear the same thing twice. You'll hear everything. Wow. I love uh, all that rock and roll shit. I love hip hop. I love uh, old school. I'm just, I'm an eclectic music lover. Right. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, somebody asked me to, earlier today, you know, Tone, what do you bump? I, ne I never really asked you, like, what do you bump in your car? First of all, I love everything because growing up being a DJ, you had to learn how to play everything. Thank you. It, it was it was freestyle. It was disco. It was uh, hip hop. It was funk. You had to learn how to play everything if you wanted right. to get hired. Right. You know, today people just say, well, I'm just a battle DJ or I'm just a hip hop DJ. Right. We, we had to play everything. We had to. In my car, I listen to KUSC, which is the classical station. Okay. I listen to classical music. Okay. Okay. You know, I like it. I don't know too many composers, but I really enjoy it. I and love big band. Okay. That uh, that Frank Sinatra shit. Oh yeah. man, bum bum bada da. I love that old crazy ass shit. That's dope. That's you know? dope. So that, it is what it is. So uh, I had heard in, in a heard in an interview that you started DJing, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. Around what time or how old were you were you introduced to that? I was introduced to DJing when I was about 14. 14, okay. We, every Saturday, Friday or Saturday, they'd have dances at Campanella Park, Gonzalez Park, and shit like that in Compton. And I always went. If you didn't go to the dances on Friday or Saturday, you was a buster. <laughs> Come Monday morning. Oh, right. you didn't make it. Oh, you ain't shit. You punk. You missed it. You always miss some shit. Let them tell it. Right. But I went to Campanella Park one day. I never forget. I walked into the room. It was packed. And the DJ was playing Ohio Players Pain, the long version. And the room was just, everybody was just grooving. I'm like, damn, he had everybody doing all kinds of shit, saying all kinds of shit. And I just thought that was the coolest shit in the world, man. And I wanted to do that. Because he controlled the crowd. He controlled the, music. the crowd. He controlled them. And he had them in their hands. And people don't understand the power of a good DJ. Yes. And yes. I wanted to have that same power, man. And yes. I thought you had to go to broadcast school. To become a street DJ, I'd never seen a street DJ, and there was no there was no mobile DJs. Right, right, right. Only DJ DJs I ever saw worked for radio stations. So when I had a chance in the twelfth grade to go to broadcast school, I took it with the intentions on becoming a street DJ. Wow! I never wanted to be on radio because I had a real bad list. I didn't. I wasn't that confident confident in the way I spoke. So I figured I could be. I can get by on, on the streets. And I went to broadcast school, got my, got my broadcast license and everything. Got offered a job. 
Oh, totally. and I didn't take it. And I just, it was the middle of the seventies, man, the disco era, and uh, I became Disco Lonzo. Disco Lonzo, you hear that, everybody? Broadway Radio exclusive, Disco Lonzo. Disco Lonzo. Uh, uh, now you, you know what you know. Okay, like if you can remember, how many minutes was that song paid by Ohio Players? Because you said the long version. It was see, it was only on the forty-five. Okay. Okay, you had to flip it over. Yeah, they have two forty five. Oh, yeah, okay? that's right. That's right. It was part one, part two. Okay, right. it's hard. You almost can't find because they didn't have twelve inches back then. Right, right. So you had like three minutes on one side, three minutes on the side, and that's and the other side. They had the uh, the uh, the flute and the, and the, uh, and the, and the bass just was rock. But boom, 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 boom. Oh, it was just the shit, man. Right, right. Yeah. The reason why I bring that up is because. Me growing up listening to Atomic Dog, I think the long version was like 10 minutes. Right. If you buy the 12 inch of Let's Work by Prince, that was like 10 minutes. You know, and you had so many songs like Knee Deep that were like 15 minutes. Right. And people would dance for the, the whole 15 time. minutes. Today, songs are three minutes and you want those songs to hurry up and be over with. Right, right. Th that's where we've come today in music. I remember like the time and Prince would drop an album, six songs. Right. And the shit was jammed. Right. You know, 10 minute songs or whatever. Today, you got 20 songs, all three minutes, and you're like, skip, skip, skip. Skip, skip, skip. skip. Wow. Next. Man. I mean, the music game now is too easy, man. Yeah. They don't appreciate it. No, they it's don't. It's like a dope dealer with money. If it come too easy, you don't appreciate it. You ever seen dope dealers with money? Yes. They yeah. buy all kind of dumb shit, okay? They might as well buy a flag say, I sell dope. Yeah. Because they don't know how to appreciate it. The same thing with youngsters today. I mean, you can get a laptop or a desktop by Ableton. Get some pads. Get a couple, or even 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 worse, uh, you can go to uh, beat was it Beatstar Beat, uh -huh. Beatstore dot com yeah and buy you some beats buy okay? you some beats You're right and get a microphone and start spitting and upload it to YouTube SoundCloud Spotify whatever the case may be and you know ain't no gatekeepers so yeah. and everybody think they dope and, of course. You know, ain't no, like I say, ain't nobody made no ugly babies before. You know, you, you ever met a mother with an ugly baby? No. Okay. You see some ugly ass babies, yes. but you know the mama think that baby is beautiful. The same thing with anybody that's the creator. They think that every, whatever you do the first time, it was the shit. That's a good analogy. Okay. Trust that's, me. These mamas got some ugly babies out here. Yeah. No, but no, believe me. I mean, they're, well, I won't touch on that because I don't want to. I'm talking about music. Yeah, I know. Okay. I know. Because I know. So, uh, I, I go won't ahead. go there. Go ahead. But anyways, um. You, so you started, would you say soon after that, you got your, yourself some equipment? Uh, uh, how did you do it uh, as far as, uh, you know, DJing yourself? How, how did that come about? I borrowed every fuck. I didn't own a record. I didn't wow. own a record since I was 20 years old. Wow. I started buying records when I was about, no, about 19, and I started DJing. I would buy one record at a time, too, because you had to buy two. Right, right, of course. And I started DJing, and my buddy had a good, extensive record collection. Uh -huh. So my first DJ gig was at an all-girl school, all-girl Catholic school, Regina Chaley. And I would borrow my partner Wayne's stereo, his turntable. He had two turntables. He had one turntable. I had one. And I would go down to this place called Hogan's House of Music in Hawthorne, Londale. And uh, I'd buy, I'd rent a PA system and plug both turntables into the PA system. Because no, when I started DJing, what no disco mixers do. No. There was no such thing as a disco mixer. No. So this PA system had a built-in amplifier in it. It came with two speakers. And I would plug in the turntables, and I'd have a microphone, and I'm turning knobs. What no mixing and scratching. You just kept... The whole thing I was taught in broadcast school was not to have dead air, which means silence. Right. And we didn't have doubles, so you had to be a playing ass. You had to learn how to keep the party going keep with going. what you had, okay? Yeah, yeah. You just had to keep the party going. And that's why... 
I became a pretty good DJ because I didn't have a lot of shit to work with. I had to make it work. Now, now were you a good uh, MC on the mic as well? I was an excellent MC. Okay, I had my own little disco lines. You know, one of my things, one of my lines was uh, when I played two records back to back. This is Disco Lonzo's dealing you a double dose of disco dynamite, sticking it in your eardrums and blowing your mind. I had a little sound effect. Boom. That was my shit. Oh, okay. <laughs> that shit's hard, man. See, I wish I Lonzo needs his own documentary. <laughs> Lonzo's documentary is coming, dude. We're in, we, we in editing right now. Oh, okay. we're, we're in editing right now. Okay, okay. We'll talk about that towards the end because I want, I want people to know more about it. So now, now, if I'm correct, a while ago, we talked about before you ever were... And the wrecking crew, well, before you ever came with the wrecking crew, you were a part of two other crews, if I'm correct. I had two other crews that was a part of me. Okay, a part I of me. I had, uh, when I first started DJing, I asked for my buddies from the neighborhood, some young cats would help me uh, carry my equipment. Because unlike DJs today, right, we had a lot of shit to carry. Yes. You had to have a van or a truck to be a DJ. Yes. You could not DJ with a backpack. You could not DJ a with a laptop. You had to have records. You had to have amplifiers. You had to have a console, coffins. And that's just like moving a one-bedroom apartment four times in one night. Okay? And yes. I tried that shit by myself, and it didn't work out. So I hired a couple of guys, gave them like 10 bucks a piece. And they, all they did, their job was to bring this stuff up, put it back in the truck. And you can't leave your shit in the truck, in the part, in the truck overnight because you come out in the driveway, truck, and all your shit will be gone. You got to right. unload it at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning by this time. Right, right. So, yeah, that was my first crew. And then later on, I got some more guys, and I got to Eve After Dark. And uh, the crew just kept growing, man. Okay. Now, did the DJ always get the ladies? Uh... I did pretty good. Okay. Did pretty good. I did pretty good. I got five kids. So I did damn good. Pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty good. Good, good. Okay. Now, now, before we get into Eve After Dark, then Doodles came next, which yeah. is the club. Yeah. Well, well, how did you make the transition from DJing to like, okay, you know what? I want to run this club. How did that happen? And how old were you around when you got your first club? I was 22 and I got Eve After Dark. I cut the deal and I was 21. Eve After Dark opened a week after my 21st, 22nd birthday. Okay. okay. And, uh, and for those who may not know where this was, can you let the public know? Eve After Dark is still standing. It's on the corner of Avalon, El Segundo, the second floor over a shopping, little, little shopping center. And uh, it, was, it was actually designed to be a banquet hall. And my dad knew the owner of the club. And uh, he saw me at Alpine Village over here in Torrance one night. And... Uh, I told him the particulars on the business. He thought, hey, you, what? And he took, introduced me to his buddy. And uh, like my old man told me back in 1979, I could get you in, but I can't keep you in. Right. I stayed there for 39, 39 years and, and nine months. Do, do you still remember the first, the grand opening, the first night? Yeah. It was cold. It was, it was lonely. <laughs> Now, did a lot of people show up that first night? Nah, man. We had a lightweight crowd. Man, we had a cool crowd. I had a following from, from Alpine Village, okay? okay? I had a little following from Alpine Village, and um, but it wasn't enough to make it work. Okay. Okay? And thank God I had a, I had a, I had a backer. Okay. okay. I, had a, I had a lady who uh, took a liking to me, and um, she every time we lost, she paid up. She made it. She took care of the business for me, and, and then when we made money, I'd pay her back. And it took us about yeah about six months 
to get it cracking, but it, we finally got it cracking. And, and you were the house DJ at the time. I was the house DJ along with unknown DJ, but I've always I was always the house DJ at all, all my spots. Okay, I was the main cat. Um, okay. I'm the only one that had any experience. I had other DJs that would fit in with me because the Eva Dark was open from like nine o'clock to five in the morning. Damn, like that, like that. So I ran it like a radio station. I had guys to open up the show, and the you know, it was lightweight, right? And when the crowd came in, I'd spin till about maybe one thirty, two o'clock. Then I have guys to close the show. Now, unknown DJ, uh, uh, um, I know people out there know who he is, and some people may not know who he is, but uh, if I'm correct, he owned the label TechnoHop. TechnoHop, right. Uh, how did you end up meeting him? Uh, I met unknown DJ and Roger Clayton at the same time. Hmm. Okay. I was DJing out in Long Beach at the uh, Long Beach Convention Center. Excuse me. On this particular night, um, it was a holiday, but it wasn't a school. It was a holiday Monday. But it was it was school Monday for it was it wasn't a, it wasn't a holiday in Compton. Okay. So my guys who normally work with me couldn't come. Right. So I'm up there trying to DJ, uh, pull records, uh, work my smoke machine, lights and shit. I'm looking like <laughs> the Mad Hatter, yeah. uh, guy from Wizard of Oz. Right. And I, all of a sudden I look over and Roger was going through my records. This motherfucker going through my shit. Now, now for for the people that may not know. Roger on first name basis. This would be Roger Clayton, the founder of of, of, of uh, Uncle Jam's Army. Uncle Jam's Army. Okay. Right. Roger was going to my records, and unknown was over there playing with my lights. No, my my lights is rented. And Roger, they start asking me questions. Like, why are these motherfuckers answering me questions? Right. I think they gonna rob me. Oh fuck! I ain't got no backup, so I'm right, thinking right. they gonna jack my ass, right? Right. And then it's come time to uh, load the load the truck up. They started helping me. I still was a little nervous. These motherfuckers pull it. My truck is loaded right, now. Right, right. They pulled a gun on my ass. Shit, I'm, I'm fucked up. Yeah. But they was cool. And later on, I saw them together. I saw them again together. And me and Unknown hit it off. I mean, Roger was cool too, but me and Unknown hit it off first. Because if, if you know Unknown, he's that kind of guy. He'll, he's, he's, he's one of them in your face yeah. kind of guys. And um, Roger was kind of standoffish because he, he he was a DJ too. And you know, you know, you, know, you got to know Roger. Anyway, make, make a long story short. Um, they started doing parties together first, Roger mm-hmm. and Andre. And then, um, cause I was already DJing and then later on, uh, unknown joined my crew and I got left the dark. I offered Roger a partnership. He turned it down. Wow. Well, yeah. what, what do you think that was? Uh, Roger told me, and I asked him, and I, and I had the opportunity to open Eve After Dark. I said, "Hey man, I need a, you want to be a partner?" Because he was already doing Alpine. We were doing Alpine Village together. Right. Sometimes we was doing the separate. He told me too many Sherm heads, too many Sherm heads. Well, it was my neighborhood. Yeah. I knew the Sherm heads. I knew the cast that sold the Sherm heads, the guy that sold the weed, and I, and I knew how to handle things. He turned it down because it wasn't jumping at first. Right. And then when they started jumping, he came in wanted to be a partner. And unto, unknown told him to get the fuck out of here. Okay. Damn. By that time, unknown, I gave him the bark, the uh, the, the soda pop concession. Right. He was also DJing, getting paid for DJing. He had the soda pop concession, and he also was my head promoter and the record and the um, music director. So he was making money with me. Let, let me now. Let me ask you something because you brought it up. Uh, record promoter or, or the club promoter. See, because today. Here's what people think promotion is uh, uh, loaded up on YouTube. I mean, on, on Instagram and Facebook. Right. C- can you explain what you guys did to promote your parties or your clubs at that time? So promote a party, promote a party in the club. A club last back in the day, you had to get uh, at least two thousand full sheet of paper flyers. They were the graphics were hand drawn. Uh, you had to hang up at least 
300 posters. We hung posters from Slauson to uh, Alondra, because once you got to Carson, they was going to come down the same day. We hung them from Crenshaw to Alameda, 300 posters. Okay. Wow. And they went, our posters went up every Wednesday or Tuesday, depending on what the city workers was doing. We watched the city workers like a hawk. If we saw them come out, because they would snatch your posters down. Wow. And if they were busy, uh, if it rained, you had to worry about them. Right. They right, do right. another shit. But if it wasn't if it wasn't raining, if it was it was a good day. They they ride around taking shit down. So I had to hook up with the city workers at some point in time and start bribing their ass to right. leave my shit the fuck alone. Right. Okay. Right. And they start coming to the club and shit like that. So we had ways of working around that. But uh, we lived in the mall. The Hawthorne Mall was still open back then. We go to the Hawthorne Mall. Then unknown would take a crew of guys out to Centennial Lock, uh, Compton High School. And so we had to be at all the schools in the area, Gardena High School. And then we started putting crews in different schools. We started recruiting different crews from different schools. So we didn't have to go out to the schools as much. We could give our people that went to school their flyers, let them in free, made them a part of the wrecking crew. Now, how often did you guys have to do that every week? Every week. There was no time we ever stopped. And then later on, we started buying, adverti we started buying advertising on KAs. And then we started buying advertising on K-Day. So it was uh, always it was a never-ending grind. Now back then, to buy advertisement on the radio, what would that go for? Do you remember? Uh, man, I remember my first advertising bill for K K Ace K A C E. I spent three hundred fifteen dollars every Thursday to start my commercials on Friday, Saturday, Friday and Saturday. They start they start uh, Thursday night, even after dark. I'm Segundo. They run Friday and they run Saturday just to keep us going. Then the K-Ace uh, went out of business, and then we started dealing with KGFJ. Mm -hmm. Then we started dealing with K-Day, uh, uh, and that's when I met Greg Mack. Okay. Now, and these posters that would go up on these posts, well, what time of the night usually? Midnight. We didn't, we didn't leave home at 11.30 midnight. But, uh, all the traffic died down. Every, I mean, I know was talking about this the other day. We was laughing about this because we were riding through Santa Monica, and I said, man, this would be a good poster hanging night. And a good poster hanging night, it was it was kind of crisp outside. It wasn't cold, but it wasn't hot. Right. And it was kind of dry. You could run, you can cross the street without having to wait for the light, and you can get up, uh, you can hit, you can hit a whole corner by ten minutes. And you know, it would wow. if, if it was out there, you get some coffee, some hot chocolate, and you just you know, you get two cats, and they go different directions with the staple guns. We just have a ball, man. It it was work. It was it was labor, but. If you did it like we did it, we made it into the thing to do. I mean, everybody, all the crew did it, including, including me. Now, did, did that pay off immediately? Like like, like a slot machine, okay? Damn. When you hung posters, posters were the most effective form of advertising known to an L.A. promoter. You would actually get your ass kicked for fucking with somebody's posters. Wrecking Crew, even after dark, we had our own... We had our own ink colors. We had two colors of uh, posters that we had that Kobe, the Kobe poster was who made all our posters. You couldn't sell anybody else our colors. Wow. We, we had our own colors, a custom blend, and we had poles that we kept posters on all the time. And uh, other promoters knew to either go over or under. Don't take that son bitch down. Hmm. Did you guys ever catch anybody or find out if anybody taking down we those damn posters? We worked a lot of ass back in the day. People used to accuse me of being a gang leader because we would come to your dance and fuck you up for taking our posters down. Yeah. Yeah. And that was something we did. I'm, I, that's money. The statute of limitations is up. Don't You can't do nothing to my ass now. That's 30 years ago. But yeah, we'd fuck you up behind our posters. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure there's somebody probably watching one day 
That guy whooped my ass. Right yeah, there. we whooped your. You know, I had to, I, I had to whoop very little ass, my boy, because they because the problem was if you snatched the poster down, I wouldn't. If I didn't, if I, they'd hang him up. My job was to go the next morning and see where they put him at. If I didn't see him, you can't get paid. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. If I don't see my posters, you can't get paid. And they knew if they knew they put him up and they knew who took him down, they would go whoop their ass. Okay. Wow. Wow. Oh yeah, it was serious like that. It was that kind of party. Wow. We never stabbed nobody, but we put hands on you from feet or whatever. Right, 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 right. Uh, um, now, uh, what was the capacity of that club at the time? Two hundred ninety-nine people, to be exact. But we put five hundred every chance we get. That's the way you got to do it. And the, the man, the eve after dark. What was the cover charge? It was uh, on Friday from nine to nine thirty, ninety-nine cent. Damn, like that. After after nine thirty, it was three dollars, and after ten, it was five. Okay, but for the ninety-nine cent, we'd have two hundred people in line for that ninety-nine cent. They would line up at shit eight thirty. You guys never did like the girls in free stuff. We didn't have to. Oh, yeah. We let everybody in for ninety nine cent, and that made it even better because now you got a balance. Right, right, right. And there was a gas station on the corner right the after dark, and when, the, when it was ninety nine cent, a couple of times the uh, station manager had to come in. Could you please make a make a U turn or something? Because they was all the way to El all the way to Avalon. I mean El Segundo. They was all the way to El Segundo. Sometimes too deep. At that time, did you have another club possibly in competition with you guys? Uh, we had the workshop, but the workshop was never really competition for us. Okay. A lot of cats, some cats go to the workshop, but workshop was on 91st and Western. Uh -huh. That was totally different from Eve After Dark. Okay. Okay, that was a whole other mindset. You get over okay. there, get your ass fucked up. Okay. Right, right, right. Now, now, what kind of music were you guys bumping at that time? And around what year was this? 79. Well, we, we started, really started jumping. We opened in 79. We started, we started cracking around. Uh, November of 79. Okay. Uh, we had one major event that just cracked the whole thing open for us. Now when Cameo came. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, we was bumping, man, uh, Parliament Funkadelic. Me and Roger used to literally argue who was going to play Flashlight at Alpine Village. Wow. So Flashlight was the shit. Uh, uh, slave. Um, uh, we played a lot of Tom Brown. We played R&B. Eve After Dark opened right when the the disco era had just died, right? But the music was still alive. Okay. So we might play Donna Summer at Eve After Dark. We might play Parliament Funkadelic. We might play Slave Slides or some shit like that. Right. We playing early Cameo, um, Rigor Mortis and shit like that. So we had a very eclectic mix in the very beginning, and it wasn't until about '79 when Cameo dropped uh, Shake Your Pants. Shake Your Pants. And that's when shit took off for us, and we we didn't look back for almost three years. We're going to press pause right there like a cassette deck. Okay. And we're going to take a little break. We're going to come back. So once again, everybody, we got the godfather of West Coast hip-hop in the building, Lonzo Williams. It's a pleasure and an honor to have him here to be able to share this history with us. So once again, the Rodeo Mixtape Documixery, you can find that at www.documixery.com. Three-hour documentary. Uh, uh, you won't be disappointed. We're going to take you to a commercial. You're going to see some... Uh, some uh, commercials for our, our shirts. We're gonna, uh, you're gonna see a commercial for uh, uh, our documentary. So we'll be back in about ten minutes. So stay with us. Somebody said, "Who is Lonzo?" He must just run off the, off the spaceship. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you guys call somebody, text somebody, page somebody, slap somebody, and let them know that uh, we are back with the Godfather of West Coast hip hop, 
Lonzo Williams. We're going to jump right back into it. I don't want to waste any time because there's so many questions that I want to ask that I know I will not be able to fit them all in in one interview. So if some people out there get upset because, you know, you didn't ask them this, we're going to make it a part two. Okay, so stay tuned. Um, so now, even after dark is jumping off, how soon after that does doodles come into play? Um, doodles came into play about, yeah, about, we start jumping in 79, about 84, 85. Okay. Uh, by 84, I started having problems with the police. Okay. Okay. Um, we had a thing, man, I know it's going to sound like I was snitching, but you, you got to understand what I was up against. We had a thing with the owner. The owner was an old dude, didn't take no shit, big six foot four cat. And he told me, God damn it. When you come to my club, I don't want no goddamn dope in my club. I don't want no goddamn fighting. Right. That's impossible. So, right. So we had to hire, I hired an undercover security guard hmm. that would patrol the bathroom and kind of entrap dudes yeah. to sell dope to him so he could bust them and get them out the club. Right. And we called the police. Here, I got to call the police to take my business. Right. And the cop told me I was becoming a nuisance. Oh, wow. And I'm like, hey, man, I'll make a donation to the policeman's fund, buy some basketball, baseball tickets, whatever. Donuts. Whatever. Yeah. He told me, nah, but I want some of that pussy right there. Okay. He's pointing at my girlfriend. Hold on, motherfucker. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> That's mine. Wow. And I said, hey, man, I'm joking. Hey, man, I ain't no pimp. Because I used to always wear a suit and tie right, and right, shit. Right. He says, you look like one. And I said, hey, man, yeah, I'll tell you. And from that point on, this motherfucker made my life a living hell. Unfortunately for me, I lived in the same uh, patrol area. My house where I lived at was in the same patrol area as the club. So he knew where I worked at. He knew where I lived at. Wow. So this motherfucker would give me tickets for parking in my own drive. I could block my driveway. The bumper be on the tip. Right. Ticket. The motherfucker gave me a ticket one time for sitting on my own goddamn fence. Somebody I was loitering in front of my own house. It got so bad, man, till the owner of the club, uh, we filed a complaint against him. And what he did, what the cop did, is start having his, his underlings give us tickets. And, uh... Up, like I said before, the eve used to be open till five, sometime six o'clock in the morning. Right. If we had a crowd, because we was the only one on the on the east side that had the after hours, and we didn't right. have no alcohol, so it wasn't no big deal. We just getting door money, unknown slinging soda pops like it's nobody's business. Right. So we stay until the sun come up. Why not? And uh, right. And um, the motherfucker decided he he was going to because there's a there's an ordinance in the county of Los Angeles. We're in the county, not the city. Not Compton. And then the ordinance said there was no, you can't have any jukeboxes and no live entertainment past two o'clock. It didn't say shit about DJs. There you go. So we rolled that fucking loophole right. for about three or four years. And when he realized what was happening, he personally went down to the supervisor's office on his day off and had them inject uh, DJs into wow. that scenario. And he proudly brought that new ordinance to the club one night. We opened at 2.30. He came in there with his boys. And here, what the fuck is this? Shut, shutting it down at 2 o'clock. And the guy, he was going to make his underling write a ticket. And this is, only, this is what I realized. All cops ain't bad cops. The underling was like, man, I'm tired of giving this guy tickets, man. You know, he don't do shit. You give him a ticket every week for something. Write the goddamn ticket or we take it to the captain. And, the, and, this, and this guy that let's go to the captain. Fuck, this is bullshit. Nonetheless, by this time, the owner was under pressure because he had a liquor license. He had liquor license and all kind of other shit. He was pressuring me to shut the club down. And we moved from Eve up to dark 
to Dudo's. Dudo's is right around the corner. Wow. But it's in Compton. Okay. Now, here's the question I think people want to know around what time and how did you meet Dre, Dr. Dre? I met Dr. Dre. Well, here's a little tidbit that only is only in my book. Dr. Dre and I grew up on the same street. Wow. Okay. His sister, his mom and my older sister, they all knew each other. His dad and my older sister, they all knew each other. And here is a story I'm going to tell you. Y'all, this motherfucker's lying. It's the honest to God truth. Make so sure you say it loud and clear. Okay. When I was about eight or nine years old, okay, I'm playing in my living room, and Dre's dad comes to tell my mom and sister, I just had a little boy, okay? Now, the reason why I remember this shit is the first time I heard your name, Andre. And hmm. I'm doing whatever I'm doing. Because, you know, kids always ear hustling. Right. And I'm doing what I'm doing. I heard, ah, what the fuck is an Andre? And I kept on doing what I was doing. And it wasn't until he came to the club decades later that he says, hey, man, I'm Theodore's son. And even that night, it didn't register. And I'm like, oh, what? This is a motherfucker that, wow, okay. And he came to the club with Easy about seven, about 82, okay. About how old do you think they were? Dre, must, he was 17. Okay. Dre was 17. Uh, Easy was a little older because I think Dre was like, Easy might be a year or two older than Easy, Dre. Okay. And uh, they didn't come correct. They came, you know, they, they came looking a little street. And back then, all clubs had dress codes. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't wear tennis shoes. You couldn't wear jeans. You couldn't wear T-shirts. You had to wear, you know, certain kind of clothes. Right. Pretty much had to dress like Morris Day to get in the goddamn of club. Course. So I made his ass go home and put on his Morris Day outfit. And he did. He came back with a little skinny tie and his slacks, his baggy, baggy pants. And he came up in the club and party. Easy wouldn't change his clothes. Hmm. He was talking shit. So we got into it. You know, fuck you. Fuck you. Little motherfucker. You know, right, right. that kind of shit, you know. And uh, it's, all in my, it's all in my documentary. It's all in my book. And uh, that same night, and I I tell you, I tell you, I told us a thousand times, I tell you a thousand and one, I don't know who gave Dre permission to go on my turntables, but he ended up on the stage. Wow. And he was doing this, his Mr. Postman. Um, With Jive Rhythm Tracks? Jive Rhythm Track Mix. And like I said in the HBO special, uh, Defiant Ones, people was partying, but they was partying confused. They don't know whether to dance to the Jive Rhythm Tracks or the fucking Mr. Postman. Right. And they was trying, what the fuck? But the shit was slamming. Yes, yes. Okay? The shit was slamming. And uh, after that, I asked him, hey, man, what's happening with you? You know, we got to talking. That's when I realized who his dad was. And it still didn't dawn on me who the motherfucker was, you know, that I, I've been knowing him forever. But uh, shortly after that, he worked with the un started working with the unknown. We both were making underground mixes. Mm -hmm. Okay, the Z Rocks and the cut ups and the Now that's what I want to talk about okay. because there's DJs out there listening and there's DJ fans that they, they, they thrive on these records. Okay? okay. I know you did Scratch Party, if I'm correct. I did Z Rock, Scratch Party, Cut Up, and Mix Tricks. And Mix Tricks. All four different. Now, um who who were the producers of, of these you know of, of these mix records if you will? Um, Yellow did my first. Yellow did both of the Z Rocks. Okay. Uh, Dre started doing the cut ups and the mix tricks. Well, okay. the, the cut ups and the uh, scratch parties. Um, shortly after that, Mike T started doing cut ups and stuff like. After Dre and them left, I kept kept doing it for a while with Mike T okay. and uh, a couple other DJs would do the other ones. Okay, now for those of you that may not know, these were like mixtapes, but on vinyl. Right. They're on vinyl, and 
Uh, on one side, it had all the grooves, and on the other side, it was just completely like completely blank. Completely blank. Now, what what made you like come up with that and say, "Fuck it, let's do do some mixes on records." Uh, actually, again, unknown was the, the music director for Eve After Dark. So he goes to this record store off on Melrose, and they had these mixes, and he'd bring them back to the club. He'd play them, but they were New York mixes, hmm. and they were cool, but they had a lot of New York music in it. Right. And right. we were like, we can do this shit. Right. And we started doing the research and found that we had a record plant, in a record present plant in El Segundo, Bill Smith Custom Records. And then um, they had a sale at Westerday Music. You can buy a, a four-track recorder, a B, uh, 808, uh, not an 808, uh, 606 mm -hmm. uh, Korg, either Korg, I think it's Korg, Korg or Boss, one or two. It was, it was eight, a, a bass line and uh, a drum machine, a first little gray sil silver drum machine. Okay. And we bought, it was all that she cost me like $1,500. Okay. Wow. And I got, a, I, had, I had credit. And I was okay. one of the cats, I was, I was established. Right. So I bought it on credit and we started doing this shit in the, uh, right there at the Eve After Dark. Okay, now, when when those were done, how did those sell? They sold like motherfucking high case. They sold like crack cocaine. It got to the point at one time, man, I'd make so much money selling those motherfuckers on Thursday through Friday. I didn't want to go to the Eve After Dark. Wow. I'd make so much fucking money. I was just telling you people earlier, I was one of my first customers was Jim Callen over JDC. People, remember you know people? No, no, I don't. Oh man, you got to know people, man. But if I'm correct, no, no, it, on Pico is where you met Steve. I met Steve on Pico. Okay. But uh, Pico didn't start buying them until um, Jim Callen was like my man. Then Cletus Anderson was buying them and ship, shipping them to Arizona. C Cletus Anderson being the, the owner VI, of VIP. VIP, okay. Cletus Anderson, Kelvin, um, uh, Cletus would buy for the whole VIP chain a lot. And because I used to work for a record distributor. See, yes. This is something people, a lot of people don't know about me. My last job, I haven't had a job in over 40 years. 44 years since my daughter was born. 1979 was my last job. Damn. Um, I was 11. Okay. My last job, I worked for a record distributor. Hmm. I sold records over the phone. Okay. My all my accounts were VIP and all the mom and pop record stores. Now you said over the phones. I know you had to have the gift of gab, right? You had to have the you know, I, motherfucker. Somebody on the on the this guy sure can't talk. Yeah, I can't talk, motherfucker. That's what I do. Okay. Um. So, but because I had a I had a very I have a unique tone. My voice has the when you when you talk to me, you know who the fuck you talking yes, to. Yes. Talk yes. to me one time, and if you have a conversation, you'll remember my voice later on. I don't know what it is about my voice, but people always remember it. And I was selling records to Cletus and Kelvin over the phone. I'd never met him. Right, right, okay. I'd never met him. And when I got fired from the record distributor, because they thought I was stealing, but I wasn't, I got to tell you this just so people understand how far back this shit goes. Okay. okay. Me and Roger both worked at the record distributor, okay? I had quit and came back. They gave, Roger got fired. They gave me his job. They gave me his desk and shit. We fell out. Then they brought Roger back. Okay. Oh, okay. Roger was always a better record salesman than I was because he knew records better than I did. But I was a good hustler. I liked the fact that I can go to work every day, be in an air-conditioned building, wear slacks and shit like that, and we go home, get high, come back, and the whole night. We had a ball. Right. They decided they decided to fire my ass because I would actually go into the warehouse. Now, I'm sorry. As a DJ, I'd work Friday, Saturday, Sometimes two gigs on Saturday and Sunday. 
I'm getting anywhere from 100 to 150 per weekend. Monday through Friday, I'm only making $161 take home. Hmm. Now, it don't, you, don't, you ain't got to be a mathematician to realize Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, $161. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, $400. This, right, right, right. This is, this is, something ain't right. Okay? Right, 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 exactly. So, but I was also building my record collection. I didn't have a lot of records. So I would actually go into the warehouse and grab all the latest stuff two at a time, take my records into the payroll department, and she would give me whatever left over, $20, $15, whatever the case may be. And I'm driving a brand new van. I'm cleaning the shit every week, every day. Right. And they're like, how is this motherfucker doing this shit? My van was like, what, brand new, two years old. And they told me some bullshit. I never heard somebody, some white people gave me some bullshit I never heard before. Mr. Williams, we understand you're the only one of the few employees that have a, a, secondary out, a secondary income outside of us. So business is slowing down. We're going to let you go. Well, rumor was that for some reason I was supposed to be stealing or some shit. Okay. Wow, wow. And I'm like, okay, fuck it. Now they gave me, they gave me, back then they held a check, it would hold a check in the hole. Gave me my week's pay, check in the hole, and vacation. I've been in like two years. So it gave me like 700 bucks to oh. walk out the door. Okay. And I'm still DJing. Still DJing and still uh, slanging uh, mixed mix records. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do a mixes, wouldn't do a mixes yet. No. Okay, not yet. So I left there. And open the Eve After Dark. While it's Eve After Dark, that's when we came up with the idea to start doing the mixes. Okay. So when I started, I started making the mixes. I went back and I had my old record list, so I knew all the guys that owned the record stores. So I started calling them back up, Kelvin. Hey, what's up, Kelvin? Cletus, blah blah blah. Come on by. Let me see what you got. So I started giving them to them, and that shit was some unheard of shit before. And they knew it was illegal, right? But it was so dope they had to have it. And so I'd go down to Bill Smith Custom Records. I'd have a van, literally a van full of records, go to JDC, go see Cletus. And then uh, I ran into Steve down on Pico one day. Steve Yano. Steve Yano. I'm yes. down on Pico. I'm selling records to one of the stores. I think it was, um, I can't think of Saturn Records. Saturn Records. Now, I don't want you to share that story. I'm going to tell you why. Because okay. you share that story on here. Okay. And I want them to go get that. Okay. I want okay. them to go get that. What I want to jump into is, you know Dre now, you know Yella. What gave you the idea to come up with, let's come up with a group? Well, I, uh, uh, Eve, by the 82, Eve got kind of stale. Okay. Okay. And we've been, we've, been, we've been kicking ass for a long time and it wasn't consistent like it was. And hip hop was starting to take over with Curtis Blow and shit like that. So for Christmas, I booked Curtis Blow. You booked Curtis I Blow? I booked Curtis Blow. Wow. And I talked to Russell Simmons, called him up on the phone. Hey, man, I want to bring... Uh, I had a buddy, one of my best friends, worked for a record company. He knew how to catch up with Russell Simmons. He hooked, hooked me up with Russell. So I booked Curtis Blow, come to the club, him and Davey D. Davey and D. Davey you D. All D. the best. Watch this on the DMX, right? Yes, yes. And um, they came down for Christmas. We had, a, we had a party called Christmas Rapping, okay? Mm -hmm. Curtis Blow. Did two shows, and uh, the first show sold out. second show was kind of weak. And, uh, but the cool part about that was Davey D took the time to show DJ Yella how to mix. Really? How to scratch. Yes. Cause we wasn't scratching in LA at that point. Wow. There was no scratching. We didn't have the turn. We did I had belt drive turntables. Yeah, yeah. I had a, my, my mixer had a knob on it. It didn't have no crossfaders. Right, right, okay. right. Yeah. I, I'm familiar with those. Yeah. Right. And, um, uh, Davey D took his turntables, hooked them up to my system. 
and showed DJ Yella, who later showed Dre, how to scratch. So that's how it went. David D, DJ Yella, Dre. Yes. Wow. Yep. Wow. What, what, what those, were those guys saying anything different? No, it didn't go like that. But they're on my documentary. Oh, dope. I got Curtis Blow and David D on my documentary saying the exact same story. Wow. That, that's... I, read, I read the David D, man, it was the craziest shit in the world. I'm a prostate cancer survivor. Okay. And I saw Curtis Blow at an event. I asked about David. He said, oh, man, he's dealing with prostate cancer. And I called him to see how he was doing. And we connected. And about two years ago, I went to the NAM show. Uh -huh. And he said he'd come to the NAM show. And uh, I ran into him, and uh, it, was, it was like, you know, you ever been to the NAM show? Yeah, I, I'm there every it's, year. It's hard to find a person at the yes, NAM show. It's too damn big. It's too damn big. Well, I I, 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 I got my wristband, turned around, and that motherfucker was, okay? Yeah. And we connected after that, and he did my documentary, along with Curtis Blow, they both, they both did the documentary. So, um, but that's how, that's how this shit started, man. You know, that's how it, none of this shit was, was planned. No, it was planned. And... After I booked Curtis Blow, I booked Run DMC. Run DMC? You booked I, I Run, booked DMC. Run DMC? Wait, wait. Wow. Russell sold me Run DMC. Because there's, there's a big historical debate, okay? Uh -huh. Who had Run DMC first, okay? Well, I had them first. I bought the plane tickets and brought the motherfuckers here. Wow. Okay? But Jam Master J as well? Jam Master J. I got pictures with him. Wow. I got I got all this shit. This is I got documented proof I did this shit. The only thing I don't have is the fucking plane ticket receipts. <laughs> Russell Simmons gave a run DLC cost me five hundred bucks and a plane ticket in hotels. They stayed right there at the Carson in the at the Ramada Inn in Carson. And but I didn't know is that Roger had went behind my back and cut a deal for me the next night. Hmm. Okay. So the people we had a great show at Eve After Dark, okay, that Friday. But that Saturday, they played the sports arena. Roger didn't put them on the flyer. I mean, on the on the posters, because he found out too late. He put them on the flyer. And people, right now, the Uncle Jam record crew camp still argues about this today. Who brought Run DMC to L.A. first? Well, we brought them here first. But y'all may have saw him first with Uncle Jam's army because you didn't come to us that right. Friday night. Right. Okay. Right. Right. But Lonzo was the one because me and Roger fell out behind the shit. Two things happened that night. One, when Run DMC did the show, I realized that's not a lot. They ain't did shit. Five hundred dollars. Right. For two songs, they're gonna stay twenty minutes. Hmm. So it cost me about a grand to fly them out here and get you know give them the money, hotel, the whole nine yards, and. That night, uh, they had this thing where he drops the mic, right? Right. Motherfucker broke my mic. Okay, pissed me off. I'm like, fuck. I'm I'm docking. Okay, right, I'm, right, right, I'm right. docking. And of course, I couldn't do that. But then they go play with Roger the next night, and I'm like, I hit Roger up. But hey, man, look, dude, I bought these cats in. I bought plane tickets and hotels and shit. I can't get nothing on this. I mean, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. That's how me and Roger did each other. Wow. Okay. So I said, from that point on, I would never book another New York act. Wow. And that's why I decided to make the world-class wrecking crew. I said, fuck, about doing my damn self. Wow. So now, you have clientele, Yella, Dre. Now, here's a question that I want to know. Uh, first of all, the name is great. I, I love that name, the world-class wrecking crew. I, I don't ever say the wrecking crew. It's the world-class wrecking crew. Who came up with that name and why that name? Well, here's why. My company was called Disco Construction. Mm-hmm. We had Alpine Village, 
one night, one Friday night, because we only got it on Fridays. And I was, we had a great night. We kicked ass. Everything was good. And my guys who tear down my equipment was doing their thing, right? And one of my buddies, oh, you disco construction. Who are they? The wrecking crew? Shit sounds dope, okay? Mm. So I kept it in the back of my head. So when I moved to Eve after dark, after Eve after dark, we still was doing disco construction, and then we added the wrecking crew to it, okay? But disco construction didn't have the same ring as the wrecking right, crew, right? So the wrecking crew was were the people that worked at Eve after dark. They were the promoters, the janitors, the DJs. It wasn't just the DJs; it was everybody. If you worked at Eve after dark, whether you hung up posters collected money, you you were qualified to get a jacket. You couldn't buy a jacket in the store. You only okay. you can only get them through me. Okay? You can buy you can get a wrecking you can get one of those uh uh first jackets was purple. Get a purple jacket, okay? <laughs> and them jackets got you laid, got you in shit for free, yes. they got you in trouble, they got you out of trouble. Do you still have any? I got one. Can I borrow it? No, it's, it will do then for you. It's one of my ex girlfriend's jackets. She let me have it. And um it's actually going up for auction this year. Because uh, she wants, you know, she can't hit up, can't nobody fit this damn thing but my daughter, and she don't want nothing to do with it. But um, it's uh, it was one of the, it was it was we couldn't sell those jackets. You had to be in the record crew these jackets. Right. So we started making records. We at some point we, when we do promotions, we stopped doing disco construction. She just started doing wrecking crew. We did our first record. If you see Slice, it's just the wrecking crew. Hmm. What we didn't know is there was a group in Chicago. A house man that was called the Wrecking Crew, and these guys had made a shitload of records. Wow! So we got a cease and desist letter from their lawyer. You can't use Wrecking Crew no more. So I called my lawyer. It's eighty four. Reason why I know it's eighty four because the Olympics was in town. Hmm. Okay. And if you ever hear the Olympics, he's a world class swimmer, a world class runner, a world class uh, pole vaulter. So I asked uh, my lawyer if I add world class. And fuck up the spelling. Can we use world class record? You say, yeah, no problem. That's how you got world class record group. You heard it here first. So that's awesome. That that's fucking awesome. It's a good tequila I, too, boy. Yeah, I love it. Okay, give me a refill, please. Somebody give me a refill. Uh, um. So now the world class wrecking crew. Uh, um. What? Uh, I have to talk about the infamous cover. You know, with Dre wearing the sequence, the white sequence. And uh, you wearing that nice, was it black, purple, or whatever? Black sequence. Okay. First of all, I don't give a shit what people say. I thought that cover was dope. We all thought that shit was dope back then. At that time, that was the dopest cover of all time for us. Period. Okay? Period. I don't care what anybody says. People like to, well, look at the way the world class record crew. I don't give a damn. That shit was dope to me. Okay. Well, wait, wait, hold on. I got to say one thing. Yes, sir. Uh, nobody ever talked about. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Them motherfuckers wore feathers. Yes, yes, okay? I remember. They had on feathers and shit. Now, look, man. Feathers? <laughs> okay. You, we get clown for a couple, some jerry curls and some goddamn uh, sequins. Right. And them motherfuckers had on feathers. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Okay. I know. Go ahead. So now, I was at your house not too long ago, and I asked you, do you still have Dre's outfit? And you said, yeah. Man, you don't know how bad I wanted to say... Uh, Lonzo, uh, can I try it on? <laughs> I, I'm dead serious. I, I would have took that picture, you know, like the way Dre did it. I would have. I swear to you. And I would have posed. I would have made a shirt of it, bro. I really want to. But maybe one day you'll let me. Anyways. Um, so you guys released that album. And um, how did it do for you guys? 
You know what? Uh, I got to tell you, I got to set this up a little bit different for you, though. The competition between Uncle Jim's Army and World Class Record Crew was so intense. They made Egypt, they made Yes, Yes, Yes and yes. Egyptian Lover, all that shit first, right? Mm -hmm. But I refused to let them do the first West Coast album. Fuck that. Because okay. they were dropping singles. They were dropping singles, okay? I refused to let them do the first fucking world class, I mean, the West Coast album. And we dropped Surgery, we dropped Juice, and like, fuck this, I'm going to the studio and do my first album so we can be officially the first West Coast group to drop an album. Wow. People don't understand the competition between Uncle Jam's Army and uh, World Class Wrecking Crew, Wrecking Crew, rec however you want to call it, was constantly one up in each other. Yes. Okay. Now, they beat us when it came to uh, big dances. Okay. Okay. But ain't nobody been as long, as many dances as we have. We've been doing this shit longer than anybody. Okay. Um, I've had six nightclubs. And yeah, you may have done, they may have done three big sports arena dances, and no problem. But when it comes to longevity and consistency, can't nobody fade the world class wrecking crew. Wow. Did, did, did you ever attend those those sports arena clubs? Uh, I dance? popped through there once in a while. I've been, I've been maybe I may have been there once, but I sent my crew, my all my guys been there. Okay. Uh, and see so they hated the fact that they had to be over with at twelve o'clock. We had the after party. Give yeah. a fuck where you at, okay? Exactly. We had the after party. And they couldn't stand the shit. No matter what you guys did, we got the after party. You got the after okay? party. Everybody would go. I ain't got to give you shit because I'm open anyway. Yeah. But I sent my crew out there with some flyers, and we had we had custom uh, posters just said after party, eve after dark. And we plastered us all around it. And everybody knew, all you got to do is bring a wristband or a ticket stub to eve after dark. Got in for $3 after midnight. Wow. Okay, so now the album drops. Did you guys tour at all with that album? Oh man, now here's the here's the crazy shit. We started gigging right after uh, Juice. Okay, we, we started gigging on Surgery. Okay, but we start, the phone started ringing a lot of old Juice. Because when Juice came out, I know at the very end it mentioned a bunch of high schools. Right, and I loved it because they mentioned Banning High School here in right. Wilmington. Because at that time we knew we we were locked in. K Day had us at every at every high school in the city. And we knew the high school kids were our base, uh, our base supporters. Yeah. So we had to include everybody that ever except for the Eve After Dark. We tried our best to put them in there. Okay. And uh, we made the album. Now here's some crazy shit. People, people don't. A lot of people forgot about our biggest record before Turn Off the Lights was not Juice, and it wasn't Surgery. It was Lovers. Lovers. Okay. That was our biggest record. Got us more radio play, got us more gigs in anything we ever done. We because we had dance records and ballads, got us on R and B shows. Hmm. Okay, so we're on the we're on the road with Mary Jane girls, more standing time, Barkays. Uh, we didn't see a lot of rap acts. We we hit we played with guys like uh, Rapping Duke. Yeah, yeah, da ha, da ha, We played with him for a while. Uh, then we, then, uh, but we first started off. We were basically open, uh, opening act. We were so, we were such a, of an opening act. We had to dance between the monitors, okay? Because uh, back then everybody was a band. It was, so if they had five bands, it was five drum kits, five sets of amps for guitars, five keyboard sets, and the opening act had to find a way to play. 
And we had steps and shit. We had literally dancing over the goddamn speakers. But as time progressed and our records got bigger and bigger, shit, we, that motherfucker, we got time, we got to the stage. What a drum nowhere to be found. Wow. Okay? And that's how our shit progressed over the years. But so people understand that Wrecking Crew, World Class Wrecking Crew was a rap act, but because we were on the cusp, we were right there in the middle between right. R&B and hip hop. Okay. We, didn't have, well, we didn't have no competition. We didn't have a lot of competition here. Egypt was doing his thing. We, I can, I can barely recall they ever playing with Egypt. We played with, uh, well, we did play a lot with the LA Dream Team in the early years. Yeah. Bobby Jimmy and the Critters, Arabian Prince, all of us. We kind of, we, we've been in a van, a mobile home, and go up and do gigs together. Wow. Uh, one of our first gigs was with um, my man, uh, Kid Frost. When Kid Frost first jumped off, one of the first gigs we did out in Sacramento, we had a ball together. I think he had probably had a song called Rough Cuts and then another song called Terminator. Yeah. Because he was doing a little bit of that electro funk right, stuff. Right, right. Now, 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 what would a gig, what would it, what would it would have costed me if I was a promoter to hire a wrecking crew back then? Oh, shit, hold on, my belt, my, my belly hurt. <laughs> All good, brother. All good. Take your time. Pinched. There you go. All right. So what, what, what would it have costed? Uh, uh, um, back then, oh, man, we first started, we'd get minimum wage, get a thousand bucks. Thousand bucks? In the beginning. By okay. the time we got through it, look, turn off life, we was getting about 7,510 grand. Wow, and this was in the eighties. By the time, but, but after Dre them left, we uh -huh. did tough lights. Tough lights was huge. huge. Okay, by this time we were headlining shows. Okay. We were headlining with uh, oh, we were headlining with, with over Houdini and uh, all the all the East Coast acts. Fourth MDs, Fourth MDs, Wrecking Crew, Houdini was a show was a um, a regular book show uh, on the uh, on on the uh, in down south. Okay. Okay. I want you to hold that thought, Lonzo, because we're going to go to a break. But when we come back, I want to talk about how you met Michelle. I want to talk about uh, Straight Outta Compton. And I want to talk about why Dre and Yella decided to leave. Okay. Okay, cool. So, uh, uh, everybody, please stay tuned. Text somebody. Uh, uh, call somebody. Let them know that we got the West Coast, uh, uh, the Godfather West Coast Hip Hop in the building. And uh, you're going to want to hear this, okay? So, stay tuned. See you guys in about 10 minutes. Yo, everybody, uh, welcome back to Rhodium Radio. We're going to jump right back into it. I don't want to waste any time. Uh, once again, we got the Godfather West Coast Hip Hop. That's what I said, the Godfather West Coast Hip Hop, Lonzo Williams. Uh, once again, so now, uh, the Wrecking Crew is formed. Uh, what was it, Lonzo, that you believe broke up the crew, or why did Yella and Dre decide to leave? You know, Tony, it was uh, a combination of a few things, man. Um, we, I ran out of money for one. Okay. Okay. When we, when we left CBS, we had a deal with CBS Records. They gave us $100,000. Uh, those cats went through that money like 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 a hot butter, hot knife went through butter. Okay. Right. CBS held our album up for almost eight months, and we, we weren't gigging. Everybody was eating off Alonzo. Everybody in my house every day, and we buying pastrami sandwiches, cutting up four at a time, and spitting sodas and shit like this. Right. You know, eight pieces of chicken. I had to get the big piece, of course. Of course. But uh, it just shit. Times it got tough. But Easy was around, hanging around, watching what was happening. Now I, he been watching me for a while though. Right. Okay. Right. And you know Easy from the club. I know Easy from the club. Okay. He saw how I was selling records at the swap meets, and you know it, everything he did, he got from me. Okay. People don't understand, people don't know that. Straight out of Compton was a good movie for entertainment, but it was factually, it was not accurate with a damn. Okay, but well, we're gonna get into that. Okay. I, I wanna know why, okay. why these guys left. Um by this time, 
what they call so-called reality raps is coming into play, okay? Uh, Tidy T had battle ram. Mixmaster Spade was doing his thing in Compton. King and T. King T. And uh, they wanted to go that route. Well, I had so much success with Turn Off the Light with our, with, with our lovers. I didn't want to change my style, okay? Right. okay? I wanted to keep doing what we was doing, okay? And they wanted to do this 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 gangster looking thing, and everybody know Lonzo ain't no gangster, right? Okay, right, right, right. That ain't how Lonzo flow. Plus, Lonzo is eight years older than Dre, seven years older than Yella. I mean, in uh, Easy, and maybe five years older than Dre. I can't go and be a rookie game banger at 28 years old. This don't make no goddamn sense. Hey, okay. but you got him today. And to, uh, today's day and era. You well, got see, him. Back then, yeah, I, I was already established. I got a, I got a daughter. I got a house. I got BMW studios. I don't own a nightclub. Now you're going to stop doing all this. Become a fucking gangster. It wouldn't believe. It wouldn't be believable. It wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. Okay. So at one point in time, they gave me an ultimatum, and before they gave me the ultimatum, they was like, "Hey, man." Now, now, who was they? Uh, everybody. Okay. Trey, Yella, Shakespeare, all of them were like, man, we need some money. I ain't got no money. I didn't, I didn't, I've been paying Dre's car note. People, you know, just, uh, he bought the RX7 from me. I was paying the car note. He stopped paying it because he had no money. I'm paying the car note. Then I couldn't afford to pay it no more. So I'm already upside down on personal shit. Right. And this, you know, this is how deep this shit goes. Okay. Right. And it got to, got to the point where I, it was a strain on me to have them own me because I'm taking care of three grown men, okay? Right, right. Plus my own shit. I got a house with a studio. I got a house note I never had before. My house note is huge. At that time, 800 bucks was a lot of house note, okay? I got a car note. I got my own bills, and ain't nobody got no money but me, and my last little bit of money was getting fucked off real fast, and I said, let's go to the studio and do another song, and nobody wanted to do Turn Off the Lights, Okay, Dre had been playing with this beat for a while, but they was on some other shit. And I'm like, no, nah, dude, I I don't feel comfortable doing that. So that was a Dre beat, turn off the lights. Turn off the lights was a Dre beat. Okay, now, okay, I saw, did you see the movie uh, Surviving Compton, Michelle Story? Yeah. Okay. It showed, I guess, that you, in, in the movie, that you met her somewhere in a store. Man, that was the biggest crack of shit ever known to man. Well, you know, and I'm glad you're clearing it up. Now, how did you meet uh, uh, Michelle. Man, I met Michelle on a Sunday. I'll never forget long as I live. We just got back in town. Uh, we had a dry run weekend, which means we didn't have no sex with nobody. Okay. Right. And when I got back to LA, I had one thing on my mind. I got to go get laid. Right. Okay? Of course. I, I called my girl up. I got a date. She's ready. Okay. This other dude called named, named Smooth. He called. I got this girl I want you to meet. Not today. Okay. Man, please, 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 dude! I got, I got to go. Okay, right, man. I'm right around the corner. I'll come. I'll be there in five minutes. Fuck it, bring her by. That's how I am. Okay, right. I came by, went in the studio, the same studio that you guys came through last week. Right, and she was. I'm uh, standing by the board. Okay, what you got? She wouldn't say nothing. I'm like, what the fuck? Me wasting my time, man. Right, what right. What the fuck's going on? Oh, man, she can sing her ass off, blah, blah, blah. Man, look, baby, can you say something? She won't say nothing. So she steps down in front of the mixing board, turns her back, and starts singing. And baby's wailing. She's getting, she's blowing. And I'm like, oh, shit. She got skills. Yeah. 
And so she finally got comfortable, and I finally got comfortable. So I got up and walked around. I thought she might have had a little tape recorder or something in her chest or something. The way, yeah. she, was, way she was sounding, like, damn, baby can blow. And then uh, after she after she's okay, cool, cool, cool. She she went to talk, and that's when the shit jumped. What the fuck happened? <laughs> what the fuck happened? He dropped his head. Yeah, man, uh, she sounded like Minnie Mouse. I said, no shit. And I took her number, uh-huh. and that was it about maybe a year about how do you think she was at this time she was about 16. wow because when, oh. when i finally got her to do turn off the light she was going to she was in the 12th grade still working at the uh at the uh store and i gave her money for her uh homecoming or something like that she wanted to go to one of the events and she needed some money and i gave her the money okay okay and although she said i didn't pay her okay uh, that was the bullshit that Dre them gave everybody because they was always broke. But problem was, it wasn't that I wasn't paying them. They were spending the money faster than I could give it to them. Right, okay? right. Okay. And that was the, the rumor, Lonzo don't pay nobody. And that shit got old real quick. Everybody got Porsches and uh, uh, 282 uh, Zs and RX-7s and looking good. But Lonzo ain't paying nobody. But Lonzo ain't the one that's going to the motel, buying the motel for a week at a time. Right, right. Having contests, how many girls can we fuck in one week, okay? Right. Lonzo ain't the one needing money for abortions, and we don't yeah. get all that right. Okay, okay. Okay, we don't get all that right. That's that for another show. That's okay. give me another shot, goddamn. You might get all that. Somebody bring a whole goddamn story. Go ahead. Come on, man. Somebody bring the shot over here. The, the so, yeah, Doc, it, it got real crazy for a while. It was just everything was on me. And it, wow. it was almost a fucking. It was almost a financial. It was a financial burden on me. Wow. So so they decided to leave. Then obviously they start putting LA's the place back around my jog. Boys in the hood. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know there's some stuff I'm missing, and like we're gonna say that for part two because people wanna wanna know about CIA, mm-hmm. you know, Cube and those guys. But so now, because straight out of Compton, on a scale of one to ten, ten being the realest shit, what would you judge straight out of Compton? far as reality or reality. accuracy yes uh about seven six okay they, they took all the stories okay they just clipped them up to make it make make other folks be the heroes okay okay all right. now uh, um straight out of compton it, they had a guy that was playing you and it was telling Dre, and him, y'all need to stop that gangster bullshit and start doing that motherfucking slow song i told you guys about okay you know was that accurate no okay they People forget the only gangster song they ever did in my studio or remotely street song was Boys in the Hood. Mm-hmm. They did Boys in the Hood uh, not only for Easy E's record label, but for uh, a movie. Okay. Uh, when they brought Boys in the Hood into the house, here's an honest to God true story. I ain't got to lie. I was the only one that thought liked it. They laughed at Easy's voice. Mm-hmm. They laughed. Oh man, this look at easy, easy dude trying to rap. <laughs> now, now who's they? Dre, Yella, everybody. Okay, nobody felt the dude had a shot in hell. And I told him, I said, look, man, anytime he, his his chances of being successful are as good as anybody else's. Mind you, one of the hit records on the radio at this time was called "Picking Boogers" by Biz Barkey. Yeah, picking. Okay? Bo- I remember picking boogers was on the fucking radio. If you can get a hit record, a record sell called Picking Boogers. I know. Boys in the Hood got action. That's just Lonzo's philosophy. Right. Okay. Right. And 
they was, oh, no, 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 no. Because he's trying to rap. And Easy was never trying to be a rapper. Right, right. I know he was a DJ. He was he, he was an okay, he, he was a backup DJ for Dre. Okay. Okay, he had equipment. Okay? I'd never seen him play a record in my life. <laughs> he had equipment. He had the money to buy the equipment with. So he, right. he had the equipment. Dre was the DJ. Easy. They was trying to start a production company called High Power Productions. Hmm. Everybody was trying to be like me or Roger. Lonzo had the club. Roger was doing the big dances. We were the big dogs in the city. Everybody saw how we made our money, and everybody wanted to do the same thing. Make, giving dances was the hustle before selling crack. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay? That was how everybody made their money. We were in a hall, whatever, backyard boogie, whatever the case may be, to try and get into the, 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 the party game. Okay? The party game was the, was the way you made money. I made it look easy because I got a club every week. Roger made it look easy. He's always someplace every week, and he's doing the sports arena. Right. And people always count the money. He, oh, yeah, people, he had $6 a head. He had 3,000 people. Oh, man, that's $18,000, okay? But you don't realize sports arena costs you damn near fifteen. Yeah, that's right. That's okay, right. so nobody really do the math. Oh, Lonzo got, he got charged $6,000, a head. He had 1,500 people in the club. He had $1,500, but I got to pay rent, security guards, DJs, posters, right. flyers. Lonzo, if he make if he make a grand out of two nights, he's a happy camper. During that time of the clubs, you had Dre and you had Yellow. Was there anybody on the West Coast or at least here in LA that could fuck with those guys as far as skills concerned? Not not at, not at that time, no. no. Well, we didn't know they were. If they were, we didn't know them. Okay, okay. guys were coming up. Uh, DJ Aladdin was coming up. DJ Joe Cooley, the King Joe, of Scratch. Joe Cooley was coming up. Yeah. Okay. Dude, but these guys hadn't established themselves right, yet. Right. You know, Dre and Yella were on were, were the first. Yes. Okay. That's why we were the first ones on the radio doing a regular mix show for K Day. I mean, because when he did uh, Dr. Day um, surgery mm -hmm. and he was cutting and scratching, it, everybody bit that shit. Everybody right. was trying to emulate those those exactly. scratches. You know, that's why it hurt me when I saw him on the Defiant Ones, <laughs> and he said. I would listen to that song and they would go, Dr. Dre, Dr. Dre. He goes, and I kind of just thought it was whack. Right. When he said that shit, that shit really fucking hurt me. Man, I heard a lot of people, dude. I, dude, you'd be surprised at how many people that fucked up, man. Like, dude, how do you say that? That's like saying your mama's ugly. You yeah, know, yeah, that, exactly. That, that, was your, that was your signature song. Yes. And now that you got some money and some other hits under your belt, your baby was yeah. ugly? Oh, yeah. no, man. Now, now, the video, Dr. Dre surgery, and you guys had them nice ass silk ass pants and you were back there with a keyboard yeah i saw an interview where you said that you weren't even playing shit you were just up there i never played a keyboard in my life okay i just held that motherfucker okay but you look smooth though I, you had to be look let me explain something to you okay i am a baby from the 70s 60s and 70s i wanted to be a jackson okay i want to be one of the jackson five okay i wanted to be a temptation when hip-hop came around it was my opportunity to have some fun and shine with the fellas. I didn't have time to learn how to play a bass guitar or a bass keyboard. But like Elvis, I had to hold something. Yes. Okay? Yes. Elvis ain't never did a solo in his life. Elvis got that guitar. He do that guitar with the hips. You ain't never seen Elvis do a goddamn guitar solo in your life. Okay? But he had his goddamn guitar. I refused to spend all that money and let them motherfuckers have all the fun. 
Fuck that shit, okay? I got to have some fun too. And that's what it was about, man. That was you got to understand the hip hop thing, man. Yes. Yeah. We was having fun and they told me, Lonzo, you can't be in the group and on the label too. Why the fuck not? Why not? They don't do that. Who the fuck is they? Why are they in my business? Yes, exactly. Okay, that was my philosophy. But I tell you, once I did that, that set a motherfucking role model for Easy E, Puffy, Dream Team. Uh, Egypt, everybody started having their own labels yes. at that point because wasn't nobody checking for hip hop like that. Right. So because I, I, I I'm like I've always been like this. Don't fuck what the motherfucker say. Exactly. I'm gonna do what I want to do and make it work. Make it and work. My, I, I get off on making motherfuckers wrong. Hey, you know what? I get off too. I get off too. I get off on making making people wrong. Well, well, I'll tell you what. I don't give a damn what anybody says. At least from the Latino community, from the Mexican community. When we saw you back there jamming, we we're like, hell yeah! Man, come on, dude. I was just having a fucking good time. Hell dude. yeah! And people people get mad for me right now. Which just end up with the with the straight out of Compton movie. I tell, don't be mad for me, man. That shit changed my life for the better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I done done more interviews and been in more fucking documentaries and a whole lot of people. They could have left my ass on the cutting room floor. Yeah. Okay. They, you're right. They made me out to be the asshole, but I, I get paid. I go to college. I speak at colleges. I speak at um, uh, schools and universities all the time and tell people I ain't an asshole. And once they meet me, they realize I'm not. But I can be because right, I'm right. a boss. Right. Okay. Of course. When you're a boss... You have to be, you know, as cool as you may be, at some point in time, you had to put your foot down. And right. they took situations, a situation I had once upon a time, when I put my foot down and used that as a whole focus for me doing the, the, uh, the in, in the movie. But I could have been not mentioned at all. And it would have had no effect. Right now, my calling card is, have you ever seen Straight Outta Compton? They say, yes. Remember this guy? Yes. That's me. And oh, my God. Yeah. Doors right. open up. How, uh, how did you like the way that guy played you? You know what? He did a good job. I, he only had he only had one Lonzo lesson. Hmm. I happened to find out about this guy playing me the day before he played me. It was really crazy, dude. I was high, I mean, unknown. Was hanging in Hollywood, and I got a phone call. Hey, man, there's a guy down here at this movie. You, are you coming to the movie set? No, for what? There's a guy playing you in the movie. No, fuck you. Yeah, man, there's a guy playing you in the movie. Man, fuck you. Lonzo, there's a guy with a jerry curl. And my buddy who's calling me and telling me this shit is a fucking comedian. So we always fucking with me about some right, shit, right? right? I said, man, Peanut, if I come down there and ain't nobody playing, I'm whooping your ass, okay? Right. And he said, for real, for real, for real. So I get down to the set and ain't nobody there. I don't see the guy, right? Well, they, had, they went to lunch. They hmm. went to lunch and they had all the lunch all the, the lunch trucks and stuff. At another lo another location, so I hopped in the car, rolled around to the, uh, to the new location, and as I'm walking past the trailers, I see a trailer with Lonzo Williams on the motherfucker. Like, what the fuck? Damn! Why is there a trailer with Lonzo Williams? Maybe this motherfucker might be real. And they never told you. They never told me shit. And as I turn around, and, and there he is, and here comes the cat looking like me, turning the corner. And we we got to talking. He had he had he had a Jerry curl. He had a Jerry curl and Lonzo shirt. Normally, I my, my shirts is my, I got a shirt collection that rival uh, my man from John Withers from uh, from Fridays all day long. I got some shirts, Dope. and I've always been known for my shirts. And um, he had on one of them Lonzo shirts and a fresh fresh luxurious Jerry curl. And I'm sitting there, damn, I'm really gonna be in this fucking movie. And it kind of fucked me up, right? You know. And we sat down on the steps, and we got to talking. And I gave him some Lonzo lessons. And uh, 
it was funny, man, because he told me he, he studied me on YouTube. Nobody ever told me shit. He said he studied me on YouTube, studied for my mannerisms. And I said, no matter what you do, you got to be animated. That's 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 my thing. I've always been animated, and I don't mind cussing. Okay? Right, right. I don't mind cussing. And the day they, they were shooting my part in the movie, uh, I walked outside to make a phone call, and Dre and his crew was getting into this big Sprinter van. The van took off and rolled about 10 feet and stopped. All of a sudden, uh, it got dark. I'm like, what the fuck happened? And Dre and his people standing behind him. Dre got these big motherfuckers behind him. He got these big linebackers and shit following on the set with him, right? And hey, Lonzo, you gonna, you leaving? I said, no, nah, man. He said, cool. When you get through after lunch, my character and your character is doing uh, a scene together after lunch. Come sit, come kick it with me in Video Village. He, he wasn't surprised to see you there? No. We talk, I, I saw him the first day. Me and Unknown went by there, went by there and kicked it with him the, uh, the first day. Okay. And we came back the second day. He invited us back the second day. Okay. And um, so I go to Video Village when it's time to shoot the scene. And I'm sitting behind the script director. And lady, she got the script, make sure, make sure everybody stay on task or whatever. And... Uh, and my, my 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 character is talking shit to Dre's character, and the little white lady was like, "Oh my God, that Lonzo character—he sure has a filthy mouth. That motherfucker sure does, don't he?" And she knows the fuck she was talking to the real Lonzo. Wow, real shit, real, real shit. shit. So now, Straight Outta Compton came out. You go to the premiere? Yeah, yeah. Okay. How how was your relationship today with Dre? Uh, Dre had called me, man. Right after we we I reached out for him right after. Uh, Right before, right after the Defiant ones. Okay. And uh, um, we were cool. We cool. He, he invited me to this pad in Malibu. We kicked it for a good little while, man. And um, after the Defiant ones, some people from HBO saw my character in the Defiant ones. And Dre was doing his um, his uh, TV show called Detox, something like that. Okay. He, Detox? Something, I forgot the name of the show he was doing for, for uh, Apple. And they wanted to bring me into the show because he says every time I came on screen, the audience liked my character. Yeah. And they thought I would be a good addition to the show, playing one of Dre's uh, his his illnesses. Okay? okay, I was gonna play the gambling illness. Dre was supposed to, he was gonna create Dre having a gambling problem, and I was gonna be that character. Okay, it was me, Michael K. Williams, and some other folks, and uh, I was all for it. I'm like my big break. Right. And uh, something happened. It, didn't, it fell through, so we never did it. But we, we stayed in contact for a while. Then he moved. I don't have a new number. But you know, okay. me, him, Cube. I mean, I talk. I, I hear Cube up all the time. Okay. What about Yella? Yella, Yella's been out of out of the country a lot. He's okay. giving little E. They do a lot of things overseas. So I still still see him, but uh, I haven't seen him as much because he moved out to uh, Covina and okay. he's always on tour. Now you got a book called uh, NWA, not without Alonzo. Not without Alonzo. Can you fill us in what that's what that's about? You know, um, right before I started writing this book about eh, about ten years ago, and I was doing it once again to one up Uncle Jam's army, because whoever writes the story, writes the history, tells the history. Tells, yeah. And I didn't want them to get my shit twisted. Right. And Roger died, and it fucked me up because that was my motivation for writing the book. Right. And then I heard they were doing the NWA movie. That became a new motivation. And I tried, I was doing my best to get it out before the movie came out, which I, I, I came out in, the movie came out in August. I got it finished in October. And um, it's all about everything that you didn't get in the movie. Okay. Okay. Um, the fact that Jerry Heller don't carry boxes. 
Okay, I introduced Jerry Heller to Easy E. When Easy E was uh, putting together Ruthless Records, I'm the one that took him took him to my lawyer, got his first contract. I'm the one that took him to my boy Daryl Davis, who hmm. got him the Ruthless logo. Um, I'm the one that introduced him to Greg Mack. I'm the one that introduced him to Steve Yano. Well, Steve, well, Steve Yano, Steve, Steve Yano met Easy, uh, met Dre, then kind of through Easy, but that was all because Steve would be in my house. Right. Right. Steve would come to the pad and kick it two or three hours in the studio right. with Dre and Easy. So they all kind of, my house is kind of the the, 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 the the meeting spot for everybody. Right, right. And um, so a lot of things that people, a lot of misconceptions that people have okay. uh, because of Straight Outta Compton on one hand, and I just want to straighten them out. Like the jackets, the jackets were never something anybody was hating on, okay? Right. I, my, the biggest mistake I probably could have made was not selling them damn jackets. Okay. Back then... Satin jackets were something exclusive to record companies. Okay. And even the lady who made them, if you weren't recommended from a record company, you couldn't get them made. She wouldn't make them for you. Okay. So my buddy uh, recommended me, took me over to the, took me to her, introduced me to her, and she started making my jackets for me. And we actually had uh, three different sets of jackets made, but all the ones people really know about is the purple ones. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe, like I said, uh, we'll bring you back next year. Okay. You bring some books, and whoever comes has to buy a book. They'll get an autograph by you. Okay. Maybe we could do something like that. That'll work. Uh, so now you have a documentary coming out as documentary, well? Documentaries. Uh, documentaries entailed also in WA, not without Alonzo. And we just started to, we just, we shot it. We went, we're doing one more, one more interview, uh, looking to interview Cube okay. or Quick, one of the two. And but in the meantime, we are editing, doing the because uh, we got a lot of footage. Yeah, Battle Cat, yeah. Curtis Blow, uh, on DJ Unknown. But how long do you think it's going to be? Oh man, um, we're trying to shop it. We want to shop it to a uh, a, another uh, a standard situation. But after talking to you, it may be two. It could be easy two or three hours, no problem. I can do two two hours on my goddamn self. I don't need right, no right, help for that. Right, right. No, you got so much history. Now, I, I had a question pertaining to the Rodeo Mixtape documentary, which I still need to give you the link where you yourself could even watch okay. it. Um, do, do you believe that it was important to document a story like a Steve Yano's? By all means, man. Steve Yano. Uh, Steve Yano was one of those cats, man, that, that did some stuff that nobody else did. I mean, he was in the spot meet. He saw something and took it, took it, took the opportunity to, to create it himself. We were doing the mixtapes. We were selling them. Now, we were doing the mix 12 inches. Right. He started doing the mixtapes. Okay? okay. He gave my man High C a platform. Yeah. I, I was talking about how Steve was always trying to get me to, man, I, I'm trying to find quick. I'm trying to find quick. Well, I had a guy named Quick Sand. I ain't the guy I'm looking for. Okay. So, Steve's story was a very intricate part of West Coast hip hop. Yeah. And like I tell people all the time, I can only tell you Lonzo's story. I can't tell you everybody's story. The story of West Coast hip hop is like a multi-track. Everybody got their own track. Yeah, okay? right. You know, the bass and the hi-hat ain't on the same track. They're on different tracks. So right. what Tony A did with Steve Yano is a part of it. What Lonzo did with Steve Yano is a different part of it. And it, But it all goes together to, to make the song. And that's the part people have to understand. You can't, I can't make my light no brighter right. by blowing out your candle and right. vice versa. Okay. Right. Right. All I could do is give your, give your candle a little air to make the flame bigger because it was a part of the goddamn story. 
Yes, yes, yes. Well, you don't know how much of an honor and a blessing it is to have you here, Lonzo, because, you know, I grew up listening to you. I grew up listening to the world-class wrecking crew. And to be a young Mexican kid living in the city of Wilmington, buying their album cover and looking at you guys, like, I'll be honest, like, you guys were gods to us. <laughs> you know, Lonzo, there goes clientele, there goes Yellow, there goes freaking Dr. Dre in that dope-ass, you know, doctor suit, you know. And to have you here in front of me, talk to me, share this story. It's a dream come true, man. Can I tell you a true story? Yes, sir. I'm I, which one I'm going to tell you? I'm going to tell you this one right here. Me and Dre, I had a BMW 635 riding down, I think it was San Pedro, down almost downtown LA, and a carload of uh, Mexicans hit the back of my truck, Pinto. Okay. About seven motherfuckers in the car, nine, six in the front seat, Okay. <laughs> Hit the back, hit, hit my shit. You ain't lying. <laughs> it hit my shit, right? Bam! I get out. I'm mad in the motherfucker. I'm talking shit. Now, I forgot where I was at. I'm down there, deep L.A., surrounded by cholos. Okay? Right, I right. Told, it, was, it was the cleaners right here, okay? I get out talking shit, and the cholos got that stand, that squat. Right, they right, right. got the 40 right. ounces and the squat, okay? I'm talking shit. I'm mad in the motherfucker because when they hit my BMW... There's a tailpipe, the, the tailpipes on the BMWs, they're supported by big rubber bands. Right. And they broke them, and my shit was dragging the ground. But I'm a handy-andy motherfucker. If I can get a coat hanger, I can wrap it up and get it fixed. Right. Well, I'm so pissed off at talking shit, because motherfucker hit my goddamn car, whoop, 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 whoop. And the cats over here like, oh, this motherfucker talking shit. Right. They get up, start walking toward my car. Dre is in the car. Dre is wearing a wrecking crew jacket. Okay. Wow. He gets out the fucking car to see what's happening. Cause I asked him, hey man, can I get a coat hanger? No, nah, Holmes, you can't get shit. <laughs> oh fuck, it's like that. Okay. Right, right, right. Dre gets out the car to see what he can do. Dre had on the wrecking crew jacket. They walking towards us. This honestly guy, too far sweater guy. And they say, Hey Holmes, you know Dr. Dre? You know, you know the wrecking crew? No, I'm Dr. Dre. Oh shit! Every fucking thing changed. Everything changed. Every fucking thing changed, man. Every fucking thing changed. They went to King Cleaners, got us some coat hangers, got up under the goddamn car and tied my shit back up, gave us that and let us fucking go. That's no bullshit. Gave you a pass. Damn. Gave us a straight fucking pass because of the, the world-class record. I swear to God, Tony. That's fucking awesome, bro. Well, if I would have saw that jacket, I would have said, can I put it on so I can do that? But... <laughs> Anyway, that, that, that's a dope fucking story, bro. But Lonzo, we have to bring you back because there's so much more we have to cover and I didn't get to cover everything. But 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 let me ask you a quick question because somebody did say, please, can you ask him this? Uh, uh, and it could be quick. How did you meet DJ Slip? Man, DJ Slip um, was a young cat, was a big young cat. Uh, that was a DJ in the in the hood. He bought, my, he bought the sound system from the... That Uncle Jam's Army used. My boy, my best friend Edwin Vaults owned Music People. He sold the, 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 the equipment to DJ Slip's dad. DJ Slip became um, sound control, yeah, sound control. And I was renting speakers. I needed speakers from time to time because I, I sold all my shit. I would rent equipment from him, and we became cool. And once I had the studio, he come by the pad and kick it with me. And that's he brought me. He brought me a eight. And he, he, in fact, he did the whole Compton Most Wanted album. Dope, dope. We'll talk about that next time. You got it. We, we got so much more. 
Once again, everybody, I want to thank uh, the Godfather of West Coast Hip Hop, Lonzo, for coming through and blessing us with some history, some West Coast history. Uh, we talked about Curtis Blow. We talked about Run DMC. We talked about Uncle Jem's Army. And uh, most likely, uh, I'm going to book him again next year for us to uh, chop it up some more. But once again, I want to encourage everyone to go and get uh, Rodeo Mixtape Documentary at documentary.com. It's about a three-hour documentary. Uh, um, so far, everyone that has watched it has uh, uh, had nothing but praise. Everybody loves it. Uh, no one, no one has uh, complained yet. I said, I had several people that said it's three hours long, but I want it more. So uh, usually when you hear those things like that, people really, really enjoy it. it. Took us one year to film it, one year to edit it, and now it's finally out, it's been out two weeks. So I encourage everybody to go out and get it. Uh, other than that, next week I have a special guest. Uh, um, the special guest, um, it's uh, pertaining to Chicano rap. And uh, most people believe, the fans believe that this, this is my next guest is what started the Chicano Rap Foundation. And this was late 80s. So I encourage you guys to uh, stay tuned. And uh, tomorrow you'll check my Instagram or my Facebook and see who that is. Okay. Other than that, uh, we have agreed, me and my team agreed that starting December 1st, which is the first Sunday of December, we're going to start doing uh, Sunday shows as well. So we're going to be on Wednesdays and Sundays. I already got people booked uh, for my December showing. Uh, uh, I, I got somebody booked for December 1st, the 8th, and I think the 15th, if I'm correct. So we'll be on Sundays as well. So other than that, Lonzo, I just want to say once again, thank you for uh, uh, coming through. Um, if, if there's anyone you want to give a shout out to or when, where people can reach you, where people can buy your book, uh, you can do that now. All right. A couple of things I want to say right quick, Tony. One, I'm doing the Unsung Heroes of West Coast Hip Hop Award Show January 18th at the Dollar High Center in Compton. I'm honoring Steve Yano, uh, DJ Quick, um, shit, Kelvin Anderson, and a few more people. It just got, I, we got to show love for each other, man. Yes, yes. Uh, number two, you can find me, Lonzo Williams, lonzowilliams.com. All my links, everything is right there. Go to my YouTube channel, yes. uh, which is all NWA Stories with Lonzo Williams. And you can hear some more of these stories individually. I do this and more on my on my own YouTube channel. And also every Tuesday, you can find me on Facebook Live. Maybe even, uh, I like this YouTube. I might go to YouTube Live. Yes. But I do a new music webinar where I showcase new music for new artists, up-and-coming artists. Okay. So all that's good. LonzoWilliams.com, you can find me. Find everything about me. Well, when this goes up, we'll put up your YouTube channel so that people can find you and subscribe. Please. And subscribe, okay? Other than that, I want to take the time really quick to thank uh, John motherfucking Elkins for running this whole shit. Uh, this shit would not happen if it wasn't for the man right here. I would also like to thank DG Media Clips for being a big part of this. Daniel Jones, uh, Kerry Fujita for uh, his drones. Also, uh, Boomer, the Remedy Yard, Boomer did it. Uh, Roger Mera, Roger Live. Uh, Wiz, Wiz One, uh, my son B. Scanless. I'd like to thank, and if I forgot anybody, please forgive me. Uh, uh, my boy Doc Nasty, my boy Misfit, uh, um, my boy Big Daddy Swoles, be looking out for him, Big Daddy Swoles, you, you're going to be hearing that name a lot, Sandy Pants from Chaotic Radio, you can catch her at, if I'm correct, 9 o'clock, Chaotic Radio on her YouTube page, uh, she also hosts her own uh, a podcast, and last but not least, I would like to thank me. <laughs> Stay tuned uh, uh, next week, God bless, have a blessed night.